can be seated. I have two places I'd like for you to turn this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and also Philippians chapter 2. If you'll go ahead and turn to those two places. I think many of you have heard uh, Corby just a moment ago. Can you, I, I mean, I, I never would have thought we would have the privilege as a church to minister to, on average, the last several weeks, 138 children. And uh, I'll be honest with you, that is a, a big task for a church. And I do. I, I, I pray that you will pray about the possibility of working in that ministry in some way or form. There will be ways, and you can sign up on a weekly basis if the Lord really pushes you in that direction, which I hope he will, some of you. Uh, and then there's some of you that maybe you feel like you can sign up for something to help us out every six weeks down there. Uh, both are great ministries, great leadership in those ministries, and I think you will be blessed as a result of being a part of the ministry. So I hope you'll prayerfully consider that. Well, today we continue with Rooted, 70 Days of Growing Deeper. I don't know about you, but uh, I've loved the devotions that I've uh, been able to read each day uh, as it pertains to what we're studying. And I hope you have taken the, the opportunity to read these. Uh, our own people have written these devotionals, and uh, they really have turned out great, and they've been a challenge to me. And uh, I hope you'll, you've been uh, keeping up with your reading uh, because it just adds more to it when you go to your connect group, when you come here on Sunday mornings for us to talk about the same subject matter and it being reinforced in so many different ways. So I hope you've taken that very seriously. Well, today what we're doing is we're transitioning from the whole idea from loving God to week four, connecting with others. And in this setting this morning, what we're going to talk about are the enemies to connection. In your connect groups, if you're a part of a connect group, which I hope you are, you're going to be studying the, 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 the benefits. What are the, the great attributes that come with being in connection with other believers? But today, what I want to do is focus on what are the enemies? What keeps us from being vulnerable before others? What keeps us from being uh, open with others? What keeps us from only having shallow relationships when it comes to, to relationships within the body of Christ. Now, when we look back at loving God, what I hope you saw in this whole three weeks that we looked at these last three weeks, I hope you looked at the idea of the idea of what we're becoming. When we see God as he truly is and we see ourselves as we truly are, I believe that will cause transformation in our lives. And it's the idea of becoming everything we can in Jesus Christ. But when we look at connecting with others, it's the idea of belonging. So we go from becoming to belonging. So look at the introduction on your outline. God has wired us for relationships. We've been wired. If you were to say, we've been pre-programmed for relationships. And for many of us who don't have meaningful relationships, it's not what God intended. He intended for us to have meaningful relationships. And he basically has wired us that way. We find in God's word that as a church family, we were created to go through life in connection with one another. Wherever you turn in the Bible, when it talks about the church, there is this idea of connecting with one another. You look at the first century church, just like you're going to look at in your connect group today. You look at the first century church and you look at Acts chapter 2, the last part of Acts chapter 2, and what you'll find is connection. The church was adding to the church daily in big ways. And they found ways to not only get larger, 
but to also get smaller where true discipleship can take place. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to find that. However, for various reasons, it's easy to become disconnected from those God has placed in your life. I want you to think about this. God has already placed meaningful relationships around us. If you're a part of a church, local church family, he intends for you to be interconnected to that body. He intends for me to be there. He intends for all of us to be there, to be interconnected in his body. Today, we're going to look at the questions, why do relationships fall apart? What destroys relationships? Now, think about it. None of us are perfectly alike. Look around the room. None of us are perfectly alike. Our appearance is different. There's never been anyone just like us. Our personalities, everything about us, our opinions, our backgrounds, our interests, all those things are different. And yet, God is asking us to bring it all together, to come together. Now, I want you to think about it. Does God love variety? Of course he loves variety. Look at creation. He loves variety. I told you many times, uh, looking at Discovery Planet or looking at the planet itself, and they start getting into intricacies about the ocean life and all the things in the plains of Africa and all the different varieties in which God has created. It's not just to the animal life. He's done it with us. We are uniquely created. He loves variety. But with variety comes differences, don't it? It does. We bring differences. We're not just bringing the, uh, ourselves, we're bringing variety with it. One of the purposes of, of connection groups, I believe, is to teach us how to get along. The skills that you learn in your connection group, you can literally apply them to work, in your family, in your marriage, and in your ministry. So really what I want to ask you is, how many of you agree that many times education, at least structured education in our country, sometimes misses some of the most important things there is? How many of you agree with that? How to handle money? Who taught you how to do that? How about how to have relationships? Is anybody teaching that? Boy, do we need that in this day and time. How do you make the differences still come together? How do you make all the opinions that are out there in, in a way that things can still come together? We've never been taught that. I've talked to many people who, who've come through broken relationships who had no idea what went wrong. Then go from one relationship to another only to have the same issues come up. Many people have no idea what destroys their relationships, nor even how to rebuild those relationships. And so therefore, I want to point out four things this morning that I believe interrupts or are the enemies of connection. So look on your outline. Selfishness destroys connection. Now, I would dare say this is probably the number one thing the enemy uses in relationships. I want you to think about it. Selfishness is the number one cause of conflict, arguments, divorce, and even war. It is easy for selfishness to creep into our relationships. How many of you agree with that? It's easy. You just, you just put it in automatic and guess where it goes? It, it moves towards selfishness. It's me being number one. Just put it in automatic. You have to intentionally, if you think about it, not be selfish. At the start of a relationship, how many of you noticed that started relationships were very unselfish? The dating, do you remember the dating? Weren't we attentive? I mean to tell you, attentive to everything. I mean, and, 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 but as time goes on, what happens? 
Selfishness creeps in, doesn't it? It does. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I, I see y'all doing it. I mean, it's a, but, but it does. It, it creeps in. We, we stop making the effort. It's easy to slide into selfishness. Our natural inclination, our natural craving is to only think of ourselves. We're not only naturally selfish, but then our culture comes along and supports that thought. Have you ever thought of that? Oh, yeah. The enemy's done a wonderful job of setting up the affirmation of selfishness through our society. He's done a wonderful job with that. Yet the Bible says that's not how connection is made or built. So how is a heart of selfishness established in us? Better question, what feeds our selfishness? I think we have a clue here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 1. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, now Paul was telling Timothy, it, it, things are going to get tough, and you better be prepared for it. And, of course, Timothy lived through some of that, but here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about the same thing. For men or people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud some of your translations say arrogant, which speaks of self-love, the lover of themselves, blasphemer, disobedient to parents because authority only stands in their way, if you really think about it, unthankful, they think they deserve more than what they have, and we have a culture that, prom that promotes that, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despiters, or, uh, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he's basically saying this whole mindset, these things that well up in us, lead us towards more selfishness. And then in verse 5, he says they have a form of godliness, but he's basically saying, but they don't have the real thing. Because it says, but the dying is power. He's basically saying these things lead to emptiness. They lead to emptiness. How many of you at the height of your selfishness felt so fulfilled in it? You don't. It leads to something. And so what happens is our reaction to that can be to have more, love more, bring in more, get more. Or we wake up and say, you know something, this is leading to nothing just as I've said many times, King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, I've tried it all. I've tried selfish ambition. I've tried this. I've tried that. Nothing satisfies. And then he says this, the latter part of verse 5. Avoid such men. Avoid such people as these. These people will have great influence in you, with you if, you don't, if you're not careful. So, Selfishness destroys relationships or connection, while selflessness builds connection. So the goal is to move from unselfishness to selflessness. Selflessness brings out the best in others. Think about it. It builds relationships. It builds connection. How many of you find it very refreshing when you see an act of selflessness? Do you see it as refreshing? You know why we see it as, as refreshing? It's because many times we don't see it in this world. And when we do see it, 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 it brings something with it. Yet we're called to be that. Did you know that if you start acting selfless in a relationship, it forces the relationship to change? Did you know that? 
There's a change that takes place. There's a change that happens in the dynamic of the relationship. And the change can even affect the other person. So selfishness not only transforms the relationship, but it also transforms the people it's directed towards. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. He's, he's saying all these things that Christ brings to your life. If, if all these things are there, then, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. He's basically saying, he's moving us to, if Christ is all these things and it, he dictates us to move in this direction, then we should emulate him. How do we know that? Because of what we're getting ready to read. Where does he start? He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Think the same. Having the same love. Being of one accord. Of one mind. He's, he's talking about the whole idea of unity. Let me ask you something. We live in a world that says you can't have this. But can you have unity and still not agree on everything? You actually can. Almost every meeting I've ever been here, and that's what makes this place, that's what makes this church so special. And some of you who've been in these meetings, you know what I'm talking about. Many times we'll all come together, we'll have different opinions, we'll have different ideas about di different things. But most of the time, almost every time I've ever seen it, it goes all the way back to 30 years I've been here. We leave a room, and, we, and, and some of us are having to agree to disagree, but we leave with unity. That's the goal. That's what he's talking about here. Yeah, all these opinions are there. Yeah, all these things. But don't let it drive a wedge into something that's very important. And what is very important? The church of God. The church of God. Don't let it drive that wedge in there. Then he says this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't show up with an agenda. Don't always try to push your agenda, your opinions. Think, think outside the box. Think about what others are feeling. Try to come to some summation of what is happening in the whole dynamic of an interchange. But be careful with that. He says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself or herself. Now, is that natural? Some of you say, what do you mean Natural. Observe a two-year-old. <laughs> that is the natural inclination of the flesh. Am I correct? How many of you know 30-some-year-olds that way? 40-some-year-olds. Let's go back to 20-some-year-olds, okay? Now, but really, I mean, we don't get far from two years old, do we? And that whole idea that's out there and esteem others greater than themselves. How many of you ever seen a two-year-old take someone's toy and hit it over the head with it and run off with it? You say, who would do that? We still do that. We're just a little more crafty in how it looks, don't we? But it's out there. And he's saying, think of others more than you do yourself. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also the interest of others. If you do a careful study of this verse, it's not talking about just me and my family. It's not talking about, yeah, I need to look after me and my family, and it ends there. No, 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 no. In the context of what this is given that you'll do that with your family, it's outside of the family, too. 
I know a lot of people who are really good at the family thing, but they stink when it goes outside of that. He's talking about that. He said, he says, and, and let each other in lowliness of mind surrender, it looks like, not only for the interest of others, but also for the interest of yourself, but also for the interest of others. And then here it is, emulate Jesus, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse six is getting ready to set you up for verse seven. And it is big. This is saying, Paul was saying, Jesus was God. He was God. He was deity. He's setting you up. And you, what, what did he do? What did he do? He made himself of no reputation. He, 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 he emptied himself. He, 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 he emptied the deity, the, the whole idea of that. Listen, listen to this. Taking the form of a bondservant. Deity went from deity to servant. Does that blow your mind? If it doesn't, it should. There's no other religion out there that says God did that. There's no other faith that says that. We have it right here. And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in an appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death. His humility led to his death, which, by the way, benefited all of us, right? Even the death and the shame of a cross. So how, I want you to think, let's back up. Let's put it in perspective. How can we be selfless in our connect groups? Number one, it's hard to compare yourself to Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? That's a big reach right there. But it's the goal. So how does that flesh out? How do we do that in a connection group or with other people? In a connection group, just by showing up. People are counting on us. People are counting on us to be a part of the body, to do life together. By accepting new people in your group, by being welcoming, having hospitality, by really listening to people in your group. When people begin to open up, you're listening, you're taking to heart what's going on. We'll talk more about this in a moment. By offering to help others in your group, by offering your abilities in the group. And the key thing you need to think about is this. God re rewards selflessness. He does. Anyone can be unselfish every once in a while, can't they? But do you know what the idea here is in Philippians chapter 2? Let it be a lifestyle. He's basically saying, just as Christ was known for his humility, you be known for your humility. You emulate him. Not just pick a certain time in which you can show that off. It's just who you are. Who you are. There's only one way to live selfishly. And if you really think about it, and the Bible says it over and over again, and it's living by the Spirit. I'm convinced if we're not living in the Spirit or living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, we'll just react like a two-year-old to everything in life. I'm convinced of that. So you say, how can you be so convinced of it? I pull it off quite often. The second enemy of connecting, of connecting relationships Pride. Pride destroys connection. You see, pride shows up in a lot of different ways. If you're critical of others, 
good sign that pride's at work in your life. If you tend to be judgmental of others, if you tend to look down on others, if you tend to be competitive with others, if you tend to always compare, well, at least I'm not like them. These are all images or imagery of pride. If you have a difficult time saying you're sorry, if you're only satisfied with what we'd call shallow relationships, there's a good chance there's a lot of pride in your own heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Stirs up strife. So what does pride look like in a small group? You always want to tell a story that tops someone else's story. Anybody ever done that before? I I did that for years and didn't realize I was doing it. I heard a comedian one time, and I mean, this is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And, and he's pointing out those people where, where someone will tell a story and someone's got to tell a greater story. I mean, I hate to ask if you know someone like that. How many of you have been that before? There you go. Thank you. I'm not the only one. Okay. But, but you've been there. But can you imagine being in a group of people and Neil Armstrong is standing there? <laughs> and everyone around you is trying to top each other in the greater story. Have you ever thought about if Neil Armstrong was there, what he could say? Everybody goes out there, tries to top each other. I mean, they're topping all over the place. He's just sitting back. He's like, I got one they're never going to top. Walked on the moon, first man to do it. (laughs) There's always someone out there that can top the story. And instead of listening Instead of rejoicing with that person, instead of uh, finding empathy with that person, we're sitting there thinking, well, here's another story that can outdo your story. I think we've all been caught up in that. You're always offering advice, and you never ask for advice in your group. That's pride. How many of you agree we all need advice? We all need instruction. There's something about our life that needs attention from someone else. We're not perfect. You never admit weakness. There's no transparency there. Now, some of that could be trust, but eventually you got to trust. If you want to get past the shallowness of, of, of relationships and, and, and not being connected to another person, which the Bible says over and over again we need so much, then don't be transparent. Sit there in your pride. The problem with pride many times, and you've seen this, is it's very self-deceiving. Everyone can see it, but the person who has the problem with pride. So, pride destroys relationships or connection while humility builds connection. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, I'm going to read this from the New American Standard, or it's going to be here from the New American Standard. I think it's the best translation um, but right here, Peter basically says there's five things that are needed to build relationships. Number one, living or live in harmony. It's that idea of unity. It doesn't mean that everybody's necessarily agreeing with everyone, but it, is, it does carry the idea that everybody does come to a likeness of mind, a living in unity. Number two, be sympathetic. Identify with others in their feelings. If they're feeling down, Go down there and sit with them for a while. If they're feeling up, 
Celebrate with them. The problem we live in a world right now, and a lot of it has to do with our, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, with our insecurity. We don't celebrate with each other. Many times we're jealous. Or we're ungrateful because God didn't do it in our life. And we don't celebrate with each other anymore. We, we, we don't weep with those who weep. Sometimes we do it backwards. And I guarantee you, the flesh will always take you there. When, when, when people are celebrating, many times we're weeping. And when people are weeping, we're celebrating. You say, how do you know that? Look at social media. Look at it closely. Read between the lines. Be sympathetic. Love one another. That's the idea. Deeply care for one another. Have compassion. Some translations say be kind-hearted. Uh, it, it means impacted by other situations. It, it, it calls, it, com, the word compassion literally means to be moved by something. To be moved by something. Be humble. Think as, think as others, as they are more important. We just read that. That was what we're to emulate in Christ. So how do we grow in humility? Titus 3, 1 and 2. Paul says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility to all men, to all people. A third connection, uh, enemy of connection, is insecurity. It destroys connection. You know, it's amazing, this, this dilemma that many people find themselves in. Listen, listen to this. See if you know someone or maybe you're there yourself. We long to be close, but we also fear being close. We long to have intimacy with others, but we are also scared to have intimacy with others. And insecurity many times prevents this. I want you to think about it. Sin causes a lot of our insecurity. In Galatians, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, all of a sudden, God shows up after Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. And I want you to look at when God shows up, I want you to look at their response to him after they've sinned. And they heard, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, just like any other day that would have been there. So the only thing different about today is they've, they've been in sin, okay? And Adam and his wife hid themselves. They've never done that before. We have no record that they've done that before. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They, 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 they broke off intimacy with God. Well, what happened there? They sinned. There was intimacy that was broken. From this word, word uh, verse, we see that insecurity causes us to fear exposure, fear rejection, fear intimacy. And we see that. Sometimes it's a very sin in our lives. Insecurity can also be a sign of a past or present abuse. And if you find yourself there, let me just say this. You need counseling. You need someone to come alongside you and help you work through that. Because that is something very deep in a person's life when they deal with that kind of abuse. By the way, your response to your insecurity may be this. I will do anything to get someone to love me. I've never heard anybody say it exactly that way, but I've heard many different forms of that very phrase. And I've watched people, and I've watched their lives, 
and this is how they live. How many of you think you know someone like this? How many of you have been that person before? I, I mean, here it is. I will do anything to get someone to love me. There's almost a fear base there. And it, it feeds desperation, insecurity. It feeds desperation. It feeds a need for more attention. It creates competition. It leaves us in the sin, it leads into sin and guilt and shame. And then guess what? More endless desperation. I've seen people, this is the cycle of their life. And it puts them deeper and deeper, not only into insecurity, but into the fear of intimacy. Destroys connection. While insecurity destroys connection, love builds connection. 1 John chapter 4. This is really what you would call a picture of insecurity. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You could easily put the idea of insecurity in there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out insecurity. It's possible for that to take place. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, how does this work? How does love expel fear or insecurity? It takes the focus off of us. Think about that. That's the problem. The focus is on us. When I'm feeling insecure, the only thing that matters to me is how I'm being portrayed and the possibility of some threat that's coming to me. And I'm thinking so much about me. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of this, fear of that. And I just enclose and there's no intimacy. It's coming from me. There's, there's nothing. I can't receive it. I can't give it. And I'm sitting in it, holding myself, literally. But when we love, it puts the focus on others. Right? It does. When you battle fear of rejection, fear of failure, any of the fears, you won't let anyone in. The moment you begin to realize, how, however, how much God loves you, you don't, however, have to prove yourself anymore. When you come to grips about the type of love God has for you, you receive that love. The Bible says the thing that's automatic when we receive the love is that we give the love. It is a work in and through our insecurity, in and through our fears. There's a dynamic that's going on that the Bible says that, that, that connection, intimacy can be restored through that means. Now, attempting to impress others builds insecurity in your life. It's not only a sign of insecurity, it builds insecurity. But when love becomes the issue, the power of insecurity and fear are dispelled. There's got, again, sometimes some of this comes through the renewing of your mind, learning who you are in Christ, learning who you really are, understanding and receiving the love that he has that it may come from your own life. Lastly, resentment destroys connection. How many of you agree that every one of us makes mistakes? Every one of us. Every one of you has made a mistake in a relationship. Anybody here been perfect in relationships? Okay, no liars here today. That's good. <laughs> we blow it. Why do we blow it? Because we're imperfect. We're going to hurt other people. 
And the fact remains, other people are going to hurt us in life, both intentionally and unintentionally. How many of you have ever been hurt unintentionally? Yeah, you know, it wasn't, but it, it, it hurt. How many have been hurt intentionally? Oh, yeah, we identify with that. We can see that one. Therefore, here's what you got to accept. Hurt is a part of life. How many of you have lived long enough to know it? It's a part of life. Indirectly or directly, I'm probably going to hurt you in some way. You're going to hurt me in some way. I, 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 I know that sounds critical, but we at least need to know that it's possible, right? It's going to happen. It will happen. What is more important to do with that hurt? So, so if we know we're going to be hurt, we just accept that there's going to be hurt. We got to know how to deal with it if it's coming our way. The problem is many of you in this room, that shut down everything about you when you were hurt. Intimacy began to close with a spouse, with a good friend that once was a good friend, with whom a mom, a dad, whatever, a child. And all of a sudden, everything gets shut down. So it's, we know hurt's coming. So really, the issue is not about whether hurt's going to touch our lives. The issue is how will we respond to the hurt? Wouldn't you agree? That is the issue because it's going to touch our lives. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 says it this way. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He's basically saying you, you need to do everything you, in your power to keep peace. You don't want to have a riff. You don't want to have these things in your life, all these fires that are going on, all the drama. How many of you know, think you know people who just love drama? Right? He's saying don't, don't, get, don't be a part of that. Don't let him sucker you in on that. Don't, don't be a part of that. So, so he's basically saying, it, because if we get so focused on these things, we'll never see the work of God in our relationships. Don't, don't do that. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That, that, that's that whole idea that, that, that basically we're going to do some major damage in us if we don't pay attention in how we handle hurt. Let any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. We are, hurt has the possibility of taking us places we never want to go. But yet sometimes we find ourselves there, and we defend while we're there instead of getting, leaving there. I mean, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's where many people are. And so one of the purposes of a connect group can be to help one another, because we're doing life together, to help one another think straight. Sometimes we need help processing hurt. You need someone who's not touched by all the emotions and feelings you're feeling in the hurt. You need someone to come alongside of you to say, you know something, I understand you're hurting. I understand I'm, if it happened to me, I possibly could be there myself. But this is only hurting you worse than it's hurting anyone. You need someone speaking into your life. And the only way you get there is you build trust with one another. And you can't do it with a shallow relationship. you got to build relationships. This is the reason it's so important that we connect with one another. When you get hurt, you need people around you who can think beyond the emotion that you're feeling, beyond the feelings. You need more rational people coming into the work. It's vital. 
So what is the antidote of resentment? Look on your outline. Forgiveness builds connection. Forgiveness. This is not on your outline, but why should I forgive others? Or why should you forgive others? Three, three primary reasons I have here. First of all, resentment does not work. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. And be honest. How many of you have found that resentment works? Anybody? It works. It works for you. Uh, but yet it sits there, doesn't it? It doesn't work. It only makes you feel miserable. Forgiving others is also for your own benefit. It benefits you probably more than anyone. Secondly, you must remember that you have been forgiven by God. How dare us say we're not going to forgive this person when we totally offended our creator, the one who redeemed us, the one who loves us, the one who's working on our behalf, and he forgave us, and we can't forgive these other people. I'm not trying to be flippant about your hurt or your resentment. I've been there. I lived there for years. But it didn't serve any purpose in my life. It created more havoc in my soul. I didn't, I didn't experience peace. Thirdly, at some point in life, you're going to need forgiveness. So you better learn to offer forgiveness to others. If you think you're the only one who's ever been hurt and you haven't never hurt anyone, you not only have a resentment problem, you got a pride problem. And that's another whole thing you got to deal with. You got to get to that point. You're going to hurt somebody too. Now, let me say this. Forgiveness is not making excuses for the person who hurt you. Your hurt was real. It was real. It hurt. It's not making excuses. Well, bless her heart. They, you know. No, it's not that. It may be looking at them through a compassionate uh, lens, but it's not that. Forgiveness is not minimizing the hurt. It did hurt. You're not trying to minimize it. You're just trying to take the sting, the sting that's troubling you away from it. Forgiveness is not justifying by saying, oh, it was no big deal. How many of you have ever done that, by the way? Someone hurt you and you felt the resentment coming up. And then all of a sudden they came and said, oh, I'm so sorry. That must have hurt you. Oh, it wasn't a big deal. Man, that thing kept you up the last three nights and you know it hurt. Does that mean, yeah, it did hurt? Does that mean you punch them out? No. But you sit there and you discuss it. And how many of you have ever had those moments where you were at odds with someone and you became transparent, you let the pride down, you bonded, you had a connection, and you left that moment closer than you've ever been with that person? Did you know that's one of the goals of dis or dis uh, di discipline our children? That's one of the goals, to build a better connection and build closeness. And, and, and that's what can happen. Forgiveness is not saying it wasn't wrong. It probably was wrong. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is letting go of the pain and letting go of the right to get even. Because let's face it, part of our resentment is we're trying to get, get back at them, isn't it? And you, can I tell you something sad? A lot of people, some people are just clueless. Or, and some people don't even care. It ain't impacted them at all. 
But you're sitting there, and you're, it's eating you alive. And it destroys connection. And let me tell you this. One thing that I found with counseling with people, it's not only involving that connection with that person that, you, that hurts you. It spills out into the other relationships around you. Because resentment doesn't just stay here. What does the Bible say in Hebrews? There's a root of bitterness. It roots itself. It becomes a part of you. It becomes the way you respond to things. How many of you have met people before? Don't raise your hand. You've met people before in which they didn't know what to do with their resentment. And as a result, 20 years later, it plagued their whole life. And you could see it. You not only see it in the relationships around, you can see it on their face. They're hard and indifferent. Lastly, and I, I just want to give you a footnote here, because I believe this is where a lot of resentment comes from. Be careful with your expectations with others, especially those who love you and care for you. I've seen so many times resentment come from an expectation that I've had of someone, and they didn't meet that expectation. They didn't even know I wanted them to meet that expectation. But guess what still came in it? Resentment. Because I thought they should know <laughs> to do that. How unfair is that? But I'll be honest with you, that's, that's where a lot of your resentment is. I guarantee you, in marriage, in any other relationship, it's there. Be careful with your expectations. Expectations can build resentment. So here's why I want to close this. We need each other. We do. All of us are born with a need to belong. I don't want you to think of that. There's, there, let me tell you one thing that I think COVID has done. We, we received, I think it was 16 guest cards last week from this service and, 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 and the other gathering, 930 and 11, 16. That's a lot of guest cards. Half of those cards said this, something we've never seen before. They want to join a connect group. Okay, that's a big deal. We, we could go six months and not have anybody want that. COVID has revealed needs in people. You, you see what I'm saying? And they realize how much they need that. There are people coming from other churches that didn't feel connected in their last church. They're showing up around here. They, they've discovered they need that more than they think they need that. And that's the reason God has placed us where we are. And that's the reason connect groups, connection with other people needs to be very important in the church of God. Because it spells it out everywhere. It says we're part of the body. And this part does this and this part does that. What does that mean? Well, it means we're working efficiently. We're working together. We're working in unity. But that doesn't happen unless we're feeling connected to one another. And that's key. Thirdly, I want to read this. This is part of our culture values. We believe the practical implications of we is greater than me. It's right out there on the wall. They are best lived and demonstrated through being involved in a small group, a connect group. These group, groups offer us the ability to do life together as we become all God desires us to be as a church family while creating a culture where we is greater than me. And y'all, that's key. That's where we've got to get to if we're going to live a fulfilled, satisfying life to look beyond ourselves into the lives of others. I want to close with this. If you will, just look down there. If you have the outline, there's a prayer of application. If you don't, it's up here on the screen. But 
maybe this is where you are. And I asked the praise team to come on up. Prayer of application. Here it is. Dear God, you have seen every relationship I've ever had. You know how my selfishness, pride, insecurity, and resentment have destroyed some of them. I admit that I need your help in my life and in my relationships. I ask you to assimilate the people into my life that you desire. And for some of you, they're already there. You're just not letting them in. You're just not letting them in. Learn how to be transparent. Learn how to be vulnerable. Some of you may say, you know, there was a time in my life where I was doing that, and I got hurt. I ain't ever doing that again. Well, you're, you're going to miss out. You need to put yourself out there again. You got to deal with that resentment. You got to put yourself out there because that is where God wants to use you. He wants to use you in those relationships. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And just, just pray with me. Father, we just come to you right now. And I just thank you for this wonderful church, Lord. I thank you for the 31 years that you've given me to be a, uh, connected with this body. And Father, I thank you for the relationships that have come from this. I thank you for, for those that, that have become deep and meaningful and instructions been given to me. And they've helped me see things in ways I'd never dreamed I could see them. Father, I pray that all of us would realize we need these deep, meaningful relationships. Father, for the one that feels like the outsider here today. Lord, I just pray somehow you would put them in the path of someone to kind of bring them in, Father. And Lord, if there is someone here today that just feels so detached, not only far from you, but far from those that you, they believe you're calling them to be a part of, the church family, I pray they'll have the, 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 the courage to reach out to myself or someone here on staff that, that possibly we can help them in connecting them with others who are similar in where they are in life. Father, we just thank you for a church Lord, that wants to reach out and continues to reach out. And Father, we just pray that you help us to be everything you desire us to be, not only in our relationship with you, God, but also in relation to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.